Peace be with you. Amen. It's, uh, it's a joy for me to be here with you guys this morning. It's, uh, it's been a while. Uh, it's been since uh, New Year's, right, uh, that I've been here. I, uh, as pa- Pablo said, I'm currently uh, serving at Sojourn Montrose, looking to, um, over this year, in the process of planting a new local expression of God's uh, church uh, in the east end of Houston. And so if any of you find yourself in that side of town, um, and I'd love to talk to you after the gathering, uh, share what, uh, what we're doing and, and kind of God's vision and mission for uh, that side of town. But uh, as he also said, we've been in this series through the books of Samuel, and today we close uh, this series, right? And uh, as the last sermon se- uh, in this series, uh, this sermon will be a bit different, but it'll be a bit different for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, we're wrapping up, right? And so it's always a, uh, a kind of a, a, a bow at the top of the, the gift, right? But also because our text this morning is David himself looking back at God's faithfulness, at God's deliverance. Looking back in hindsight at all that God has done in his life. And so this morning, I want us to look back with him. I want us to look back at God's faithfulness in his life with him and ask ourselves these questions. Where does this leave us today? How does this affect us today? And where do we go from here? Because... Because this is what we do know, that David's life started out looking good, right? But then he crashed. He committed grievous sin against God through his adultery, through his rape of Bathsheba, and through his murder. And here we are now looking back at God's deliverance of him, even before that, through that, and after that. And, and there's a lot of us this morning here who, who may be able to relate to that. We, we have crashed at some point in our life. We've had lows. We've had highs. And we can allow David to teach us this morning how to look back in hindsight and see God through even our mess. And so as we, as we look at this psalm, David's uh, psalm is essentially... Uh, Psalm 18 as well. And it's a reflective piece that looks back at kind of the long track record, as I said, of God's salvation. While in the beginning of our series, we we heard a sermon preached on Hannah's prayer, right? And we heard Hannah offering up her son uh, Samuel uh, and offering up a prayer and a praise of thanksgiving for God answering her prayer. But it was also a prospective prayer looking forward to a kingdom that would one day come. And we find David here in a very similar way, praising God for his faithfulness, but it's more of a retrospective prayer, looking back at what God has already done and the kingdom that has already come. And so while obviously these are a lot of verses, so bear with me, we're going to go verse by verse. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to I extract three main themes out of this 
out of this psalm. I want to extract three main themes out of uh, this psalm. Number one being the intensity of David's praise with which he starts this psalm. Number two, David's mention of his righteousness, which for a lot of us makes us feel uncomfortable, especially as reformed folk, right? Um, and the invincibility of God's kingdom at the end. So, and I want to walk us through these three main themes. And my prayer is that we'd be reminded in our own life of the awe-inspiring, praiseworthy deliverance of God on our behalf. And that this intense praise would then produce in us evangelistic boldness to join God daily in the historic work of redemption in the heights, in our city, and in other neighborhoods. See, because the reality is that when we truly understand at a heart level the lengths God went to to rescue us, you and me, intense praise will follow and it will flow and overflow out into missional vigor. So let's start by looking at the intensity um, of David's praise here. We find uh, kind of a, a poetic emphasis through uh, repetition and, and illustration uh, of the same subject through different phrases at the beginning of this psalm. Um, and, and a lot of times preachers get a lot of, a lot of slack for repeating things often. Um, but if you know anything about rhetoric or anything about poetry, uh, when you want to emphasize a point, it's, 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 it's good to re repeat it. It's good to repeat it in different ways. And this is essentially what David uh, is doing here. So in verses 2 through 4, we find kind of the first use of this poetic repetition. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, deliverer, my God, my rock. He says, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. My refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. Called upon the Lord, he said, and, and, and I am saved from my enemies. And so he's, he's repeating the same theme here. Essentially, he's, he's saying that God is his savior and, he, and his, his protector and using multiple words to kind of bring to mind that, that wonderful imagery, rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, horn, stronghold. All words that illustrate essentially the same thing. So why does he burst forth into intense praise? Well, because God delivered him. God delivered him. And he talks about it in verses 5 through 20. And in his retelling of his deep distress and God's deliverance, he also uses kind of the same poetic repetition and illustration. The waves of death encompass me. Torrents of destruction assailed me. Cords of Sheol entangled me. Snares of death confronted me. And this is David's illustration of his deep distress. This, this man was in deep. If you know anything about uh, David's life, as we heard, maybe this is your first time or you've been coming around just for a few weeks, but, but David's life was, was littered with, with suffering. It was littered with uh, uh, people seeking to take his life, him being uh, uh, someone who is uh, essentially running from the previous king, King Saul, because King Saul wanted to find him and take his life out of jealousy. He knew David was already the anointed king and King Saul wanted none of it. 
And then throughout David's life, he, as I said, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit in, in more detail later on in the sermon, but he, he, he crashes and burns, right? He commits great and gross ungodly sin. And one of the consequences, you may have heard that, I think last week or the week before, is that his house would be in turmoil. Then his son starts seeking to take his life. This man knew what it was to have the snares of death confront him, to have uh, the, the waves of death encompass him, to have the, uh, the cords of Sheol, the cords of death, of, of, of Hades, of hell, right? Kind of feeling like they're pulling him down. And he doesn't get into specifics here because he's, in a sense, he's waxing eloquent about it, right? It's a song. But we know from verse 1 that this was what he was talking about, him fleeing from King Saul and from all his enemies. Imagine being in his shoes. Imagine being in the shoes of David, having to, to always look over your shoulder because you know that the armies of your enemies are out to find and to kill you. This is the kind of, of deep distress that David was very familiar with. And it's the distress he illustrates so eloquently here in verses 5 and 6. Probably full of anxiety, depression, exhaustion, fatigue, and downright just burnout. At his wit's end with nowhere to look but up. Earthly comforts out of reach. And I, and I, wonder, I wonder how many of us this morning here know what that feels like to be at our wit's end, to have nowhere else to look but up, to feel that all earthly comforts have either been stripped away or we're so deep in our suffering that earthly comforts seem irrelevant to the pain that we're feeling. And it, and it might even still be uh, a sore spot or at least you, you still feel that scar when you remember that season in your life or that situation, that tragedy But every time you remember that season or that pain, uh, in the midst of it, you also remember the mighty hand of God that delivered you. Not only from the enemy of your soul, but from your own despair, maybe even having to deliver you from your own foolishness that got you into that situation. I know I can relate to that. when you think back on all that, that, that the Lord God Almighty has done for you, when you remember that you can't help but praise, like you can't help but testify about, the, about God's goodness. You can't help but testify about his mercy in your life and rescuing you even from yourself. David most certainly could do this. He could think back on God's deliverance from the affliction of his enemies, but also his self-inflicted affliction because of his sin. And maybe some of you here don't have those kinds of experiences yet. Or you could look back and, and remember a time in your life where you were in deep distress and deep despair and pain. 
But if you're a Christian in this room, if you, if you believe in Jesus and have repented and put your faith in him, um, then you can remember, you can look back on the reality that you used to be a child of wrath, on the reality that you used to be enslaved to your sin, you used to be dead in your sin, you used to have the, the judgment of God weighing over your head, and God in his mercy stepped into the muck of your life, the muck of my life, to save you from your enemies, sin and death, but also to save you from yourself and ultimately to save you from himself. It would do us all well, brothers and sisters, to, to, to have some, some, some good old-fashioned testimony time in our life. We often get so, so busy, so, so boggled down with scheduling and, and, and all that is important and, and necessary we often forget to take time out of our fast-paced life to sit and remember everything that God has done for us. To remember that where we're at right now is purely grace. Everything that we have right now is purely grace. Even the hard labor that you've put in, even your hard-earned uh, 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 um, um, home or family, all of that, even the effort that you've exerted has been given to you by God. We must be a people like David here who take times of remembrance. It was so important to God that he established the Passover so that the people of Israel would often remember everything that God had done for them in saving his people out of Egypt, saving them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So he said, I'm going to make sure that you remember what you used to be. I'm going to make sure that you remember where I brought you out of, where you came from. Because out of that place, intense praise flows. Joy and peace as we remember God's character, his unchanging nature towards us and his promise towards us that he continues keeping. So this is essentially what David is doing here. It's, it's a bit of testimony time for David. How, does, how did David testify? Well, he, he does this by uh, uh, a poetic recounting of God's earth-rocking rescue. And he, he, he man, I, I love the illustration here, how he presents God as a high and lifted up, lofty, sitting on his throne. And then the feeble cry for help caused God to, to, to get off of his throne, to come in and like a superhero, save him from his distress. And then he says in the second part of verse 20 that uh, God, God rescued him because he delighted in him. He, he, knew, he knew the character of God and his love towards him, just even in the midst of his own sin. David paints a picture with, with words of, of a consuming fire of a God, a thrice holy God, almighty, sitting enthroned above the heavens, yet who is also so intimately involved and interested in his life to the point of delighting in him. This is a God who is never too busy, and David knows this, with more important things that he can't focus in and listen to the, to the distress and the cry for help on behalf of David. 
If anything, he, he illustrates the, the wonderful, attentive care that God has for his people. For us today, this means we don't have to pick whether we see God as only transcendent or only eminent, as only high and lifted up, lofty somewhere out there in the universe, or only like our friend, our buddy. He's both. He, he stepped into this world and walked the streets that we walked in Jesus. Yet he is also outside of time, being the only one who is perfectly holy, the king of the universe. He is both, and that what makes, that's what makes David burst forth into even more praise. But this also means that when, when God delivered us from our sin, from our death through Jesus, God didn't do it because, hey, hey well, I've, I've made a promise. Some of us sometimes do that. We, well, I've made this promise. Well, now I'm going to keep it. Not because I said it and I'm going to be a man of my word or a woman of my word and I'm going to keep this promise because I made it. That's, that's not God. Like he made this promise and he went for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He did it because in a very real way, he delights in you. He delights in me. David had a vivid view of his deep distress over his past life and, and of God's mighty deliverance and of his delight in him. And these things together caused him to burst forth into praise. But then we, we come to a portion, uh, as I said at the beginning, right, of this song where, where David proclaims that God dealt with him according to his own righteousness. And this is where I know when I first read this a while back, it made me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, wait, I thought Jesus is my righteousness. But David is boldly proclaiming that God dealt with him according to his righteousness. And I, and I want to focus in on three verses here primarily, verse 21, 22, and 28. He says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. And you save, verse 28, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. So David, right after saying that God rescued him because he delighted in him, he also says that God dealt with him according to his own righteousness. And I, and I believe verse 22 really gives us the clearest picture of what he meant. He says that he has not wickedly departed from God. And I think that's key. David, as sinful as he was, never wickedly departed from the ways of the Lord. He never wickedly departed from the covenant that he had with, with the Lord. He's not claiming to be sinless. He's not claiming to have earned God's favor through his works. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's well aware of, of his sin. His claim to righteousness is a covenantal one. And it, let me explain that. God, God places David in his covenant, right? And then this gives David access to, to God's laws to instruct them in the way that he should live. And it also gives him access to God's sacrificial system when David does sin against God and repents. So, so even though David did sin greatly in committing adultery and murder, 
He didn't walk in wickedness by utterly forsaking the covenant that he had with God. In other words, he he did not remain rebellious or unrepentant in his sin, but rather remained faithful to God's covenant through repentance and seeking God's forgiveness. So David, for us, can be in a very real way a model in walking in righteousness and cleanness before the Lord. So it turns out we actually can relate to his words here. No matter how deep your sin has been in the past, how present it is always before you, no matter how deep your sin is currently or how deep it will be in the future, if you are actively engaged in the daily deep work of repentance and faith in our sacrificial system, the blood of Jesus, we can together with David say that we have not wickedly departed from our God. And in this sense, God does deal with us according to our righteousness. Not that we earn God's favor, but rather that we walk in accordance to God's covenant through daily repentance and faith. God responds to us then the way he has promised to respond to repentance and faith. David knew this in Psalm 51. He says that that a broken and a contrite heart, a repentant heart, God will not despise. And so we show ourselves to be true participants like David, no matter our sin or how deep it is. We show ourselves to be true participants of God's covenant people when we walk like God's covenant people in repentance and faith. And who else was it but David that gave us the the great model of repentance in Psalm 51, right? Some, some of you, if you're, if you're anything like me, an overthinker or prone to anxiety, might be asking yourself this question. Well, what, 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 if, what if I've wickedly departed from God, but I don't know it right now? <laughs> or what if, what, if, what if this could be me, wickedly departing from God? And I can tell you this, if you're, if you're filled with that fear, Uh, the chances are pretty high that you're not one of those people. Those who have wickedly departed from God want nothing to do with him anymore. However, the grace of God is so relentless that even if you did, if you belong to Jesus, if you did try to wickedly depart from God, he chases you down like a hound. David is a product of this, right? He heard about it through this series. He essentially raped his friend's wife and got her pregnant. So he schemes to have his friend killed, and he succeeded. He was guilty of adultery, rape, and premeditated murder. But because he belonged to God, God sent the prophet Nathan to call him out on his sin. God would not have it. And David repented before God, and we have Psalm 51. God, the spirit, the the hound of heaven, if you will, chased him down. What a grace. As we get closer to the end of this song, David then shifts out of that and, and specifically begins to remember the victories that God gave him over his enemies in war. 
And he finishes in verse 51 by making a, a strong, faith-filled declaration of God's salvation and of God's love towards him and his offspring forever, with a big emphasis on forever. So essentially, David proclaims the invincibility of God's kingdom and its ultimate triumph over its enemies. And he says in 51, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So how can God show great salvation and steadfast love to his anointed king David and to David's offspring forever? Let's look a bit uh, more closely at this. In Hebrew, that word offspring is somewhat ambiguous. In Genesis 3, Eve's offspring may refer to her children, but it may also refer to her posterity or even to one particular descendant. And the same goes for David here. Offspring may refer to Solomon. It may also refer to his uh, posterity or even to one particular descendant as well. And then we find in 2 Samuel 7, particularly verses 12 through 17, God promising to raise up David's offspring forever. But he, he did it with Solomon. Solomon built the temple of the Lord, right? He, he established his throne. God was a father to Solomon, giving him wisdom. But this offspring of David only held the throne for 400 years. That's not forever, right? So, so what does he mean by forever? We know this, right? We, we have the full revelation of Scripture and of who God is. As the Old Testament closes, the, the, the reader and the student of First and Second Samuel is left wondering how God would make good on these promises. And Galatians 3.16 at least suggests to us how Paul might have read it. He says, in this verse, now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And he says, who is Christ? We don't have to wonder anymore today because we know that this ultimately and perfectly and beautifully was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So because God has made an everlasting covenant with the house of David, Jesus, the son of David, defeated all of God's enemies in our place. He's the eternal king we, we longed for and who we now submit to. He's our redeemer, our rock, our refuge, our horn. David's deliverance was all purely Grace, we know that. It was given to him, not because of his merit, but because of God's grace, love, mercy, and faithfulness to his promise. And for us today, because Jesus took our place, and it's through him that we've been made righteous. It's through Jesus that God delights in you and in me. It is through Jesus that we can run against a troop and leap over a wall. It is through Jesus that we have victory over our enemies. Sin and death. Ultimately, it is through Jesus that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, as Jesus stated in Matthew 16. So if God's promise to David was ultimately fulfilled, 
in David's son Jesus and all of us are in him, then in a very, in a very real way, we also are David's offspring and are part of this everlasting and invincible kingdom together with Jesus. And if it's true that the gates of hell won't prevail against God's church, God's kingdom, we, we need to ask ourselves, right, then how shall we then live in light of that? This means we should be both deeply humble and boldly confident. Deeply humble and boldly confident. Deeply humble because we're, we're graciously granted membership and status in this invincible kingdom. Purely by grace. And boldly confident in the fact that it is an invincible kingdom. So how does this look like? It looks like us seeing our suffering through hope-filled, eternal lenses, which then strengthens us in suffering because we know that no matter the pain we face on this side of eternity, uh, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, right? There is a kingdom that Jesus is establishing and ultimately is invincible. And one day we will dwell with him forever and he will fully bring his kingdom. And it also looks like us humbly yet boldly taking part in the mission of God. Looks like us stepping out in faith, sharing the gospel with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family members who have yet to experience the gospel of grace. And for some of you, shameless plug here with permission, it might look like jumping in with, to East End with us. And seeing that God's invincible kingdom spreads out to an often neglected side of town when we talk about church planting. Planting churches is the work of seeing this invincible kingdom of Jesus expanded on earth so that more and more people are added to this kingdom. And we look to the day when Jesus will fully usher in his kingdom. And maybe some of you have been thinking about it, at least wanting to hear more about it. I'd love to sit with you over coffee and talk about God's invincible kingdom expanding in the East End. So where do we go from here as we finish this series, as we come to a close uh, even of this sermon? Well, uh, we know that, as I, as I have stated already, just by way of reminder, that the books of Samuel left us waiting for the eternal king. And we know that the eternal king Jesus came. And when he was on earth, he proclaimed his kingdom was at hand. And today we get to be the people of that kingdom who through our life together, remember his deliverance and praise him intensely in response. Walk according to his covenant ways of repentance and faith all while taking part in his mission to see his kingdom expanded on earth, knowing that the kingdom of God is everlasting and invincible. And and brothers and sisters, may we do this with Jesus' words in mind out of Luke 12, 32 as our encouragement. He says to us, his disciples, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your great and mighty acts through Jesus 
in delivering us from sin, from Satan, from death, and bringing us into the kingdom of your beloved son, out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, let this be ever in front of us. Let us take time to remember, God, that we are in this kingdom purely by grace. And let that overflow into missional vigor. Let that, let that overflow into testifying about your grace to others who have yet to experience it. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your continual leading by your spirit in Christ's name. Amen.